everyone. Thank you for listening to The Death of VHS, the movie review podcast. Please remember that the language and topics might not be suitable in a typical work environment, as there might be strong language or triggering topics during the review of movies, ranging from a G rating to an R rating. Thanks again, and enjoy the show. Released in 1979, The Jerk was Steve Martin's first major role. And today, we're going to talk all about what makes it great, what makes it not so great, and everything else that has to do with it. I was born a poor black child, and this is the death of VHS. everyone thank you for listening to the death of vhs the movie review podcast please remember that the language and topics might not be suitable in a typical work environment as there might be strong language or triggering topics during the review of movies ranging from a g rating to an r rating thanks again and enjoy the show i am richie i am one of the hosts of the death of vhs podcast a podcast all about celebrating the golden era of movies as in the movies that were released on vhs uh, joining me for this episode are oni daily jones and then our editor and could not be here today is jamie say hey everybody hey hey so uh welcome to the very first episode of the death of vhs um like i said i'm richie i am uh paramedic and dad out of South Carolina, and that's about everything that makes me somewhat interesting. Uh, I'm Oni. Um, call me Oni. Real name's John, but call me, everybody's going to call me Oni. That's just what it's going to look like going forward. Uh, I'm based out of Nebraska, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm also a dad and uh, an avid movie quoter, so... That's that's basically ninety percent of my vocabulary is just movie quotes from random, random movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, doesn't <laughs> insert movie quote here is is my overall quote. Yeah, that's how I live my life. That's my motto. I'm um I'm Daly. I'm from Adelaide, Australia. Um, the only reason I'm here is because they wanted somebody from an international location, and so they got stuck with me. We just really like hearing the accent. That's the only reason to keep you around. Uh, and I'm uh, I'm Jones. Real name is Abe. I'm from Los Angeles, California. I'm a software engineer, also a dad. Um, so yeah, we're at a troop of dads here. Um, but yeah, that's about the only interesting thing about me. Um, and then also there is Jamie, who's also from Southern California, who's unable to join us. Um, he'll be on another episode. Um, but he will be editing this, so, um, you know, thank you, Jamie. Woo! Um, I'm also a dad. I don't think I said that. <laughs> Way to keep your uh, children in the forefront of your mind. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I'm, He's I'm a still, new dad. I'm still learning from you guys. the first kid. <laughs> All right, so let's, uh, let's jump right in. Let's, let's get into the, into the, uh, the stats of the movie. Um, let's do some box office numbers real quick. Um, so The Jerk released in 1979. With a budget of four million dollars, um, it ended up grossing uh, about a hundred million, 
um, which in today's money is uh, just under $300 million. So once adjusted for inflation, um, it's actually really, really good for a comedy movie. Um, it was, I believe at the time, the eighth biggest uh, box office um, hit. Um, so that was really, really good um, for the time. And even for nowadays, you know, almost $100 million, even in today's money on a $4 million budget is a pretty big hit. Um, it made almost all of that back its first weekend. It did about $5.9 million, um, which, again, adjusted for inflation is about $24 mil. So, uh, yeah, did big numbers back in the late 70s. That's uh, pretty impressive. Um, you know, Steve Martin was still relatively unknown at this time. Um, I mean, it was really his first feature film. He had done one short film. That kind of got him uh, recognized by Carl Reiner, and then they started working together a bunch. Yeah, it wasn't uh, Steve Martin at this time was was basically mostly a stand up comedian. Uh, that that's kind of what he was doing at the time um, when he he did the outline screenplay of this film. Yeah, so uh, let's just jump into the movie. Um, kind of talk about what happened and uh, what we think about it. So it's uh, your typical <clears throat> rags-to-riches-to-rags story. Uh, we start off seeing uh, Steve Martin's character, Navin Johnson, uh, homeless, just on the street, dirty, uh, has nothing but a thermos to his name. Um, and he decides he's going to share the story of how he got here. So uh, we start off with, by far, in my mind, the best line of the whole movie of him telling you that it was never easy for me i was born a poor <laughs> black child and we jump to a, his childhood home uh where he's the youngest of a big family um and he has no clue he was adopted but he uh just doesn't really get the music that his family listens to they just uh, listen to the blues, and he doesn't really understand um, why he just doesn't have rhythm. <laughs> he can't get it. On the night of his 18th birthday, though, uh, he just all of a sudden hears uh, just some, uh, I guess that's big band music, and he finally finds his rhythm. And so uh, his family tells him, finally tells him the truth, you know, that he... Uh, he was adopted. Raised you and, like you were uh, one of you know, us. Needless to say, he's shocked. You mean I'm going to stay this color? <laughs> so, uh, so he decides he's going to move on and see what else is out there. You know, what else does he not know? Um, catch him uh, hitchhiking, you know, first just to the end of his fence. And then uh, finally makes it to St. Louis. Yeah, uh, yeah, he gets to St. Louis and he gets his first job. Um, actually, it's really funny. At, at this point in the story, when he when he's actually getting to St. Louis, uh, I, I watched a YouTube clip of Steve Martin um, speaking on this movie back in 2008. He, he went to the American Film Institute. They were hosting an event uh, about the movie. It was 30-ish years old. It was about to be 30 years old. And uh, he said his favorite joke of the whole movie that he wrote, of course, um, was when he was hitchhiking to St. Louis. 
St. Louis? No, Navin Johnson. Oh, do you want to lift the St. Louis? Oh, okay, thanks. That's Steve Martin's favorite joke of the whole whole movie. That like it's it's that part right there. He gets to St. Louis, gets his first job at a gas station uh, with Harry or Henry. Yeah, Harry, Mr. Harry. Hartunian. Gas station yep, Harry owner. Hartunian. We get a bunch of hijinks out of that whole uh, <laughs> stop at the gas station while he's working. You know, he gets his little back room. Um, where he mistakenly thinks the the bathroom is where he'll be staying, and he's just so in love with it. He has these plans to raise the floor, and this is where his books are going to go. You know, all the while there's a customer, you know, peeing in a urinal, and uh, Mr. Hartunian's just looking at him like, what are you talking about? Like, let me show you the real room through this door. And it, it, it's one of the funnier gags in the movie for me, absolutely. Steve Martin just sells it. It's it's hilarious. Still have that flow. Oh, then I can take bookshelves and put it here. <laughs> no, I'll put the books right over here. That way. Can I, I ask a question? Why was why was the guy shooting at him? I I, I seriously don't understand why he was getting shot at by the guy. <laughs> So, for the folks at home that haven't seen it, um, there gets to a point where this strange shooter just picks out Navis's name in a book. It, it was a plot forwarding device, basically to get him out of of St. Louis and and elsewhere uh, in the movie. And uh, basically, what happens is that he this random shooter just decides to pick his name out of the book, which is unfortunate because Navis is actually, it's ironic, obviously, because Navis is very, very excited about seeing his name in print. And it sets up the gag. Everything's going to, you know, work out for me because my name is in print and his name is just in a phone book. And then his name gets randomly picked out of the phone book to be shot at by this estranged shooter. And that, for me, is where the, the movie kind of, like, falls. <laughs> I'm like, this 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 too random it, it makes no sense to have this even happen yeah. <laughs> like the, the odds are astronomical alone but yeah <clears throat> that's where it kind of it loses me <laughs> quite a bit that's where it just even picks up for me i mean <laughs> you know this random just this guy wants to kill somebody random for whatever reason we never know and it doesn't yeah. really matter but naven is just even in the midst of being shot at like Oh man, these oil cans. Like, you know, he just. <laughs> these cans are defective. They're springing leaks. Come over here. Yeah, that's, my, that's honestly my favorite part. Like, I really like that part. Like, that's funny. It, it, there's a lot of extra gags in there. He, like, escapes that situation by driving in a car that has literally no tires on it. And that's why he, and that's how he ends up at the the fairgrounds and and becomes a carny. But I mean, like that, it sets up a lot of funny gags, and it's because, uh, and and this is where the film is kind of inconsistent for me. I guess is the the main takeaway from the film I get is inconsistency, is because uh, a lot of uh, the gags, the bits, the humor, including your favorite line, Richie. It actually comes from Steve's stand-up comedy routine at the time. Like, all that's actually pulled from his his routine. And uh, a lot of the gags that he put in the 
the actual writing is that that routine. So uh, at the time, it was very funny. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I laughed really hard when he looked at the oil cans and said they were springing leaks, like that they were defective. Like, I'm I'm dying. Like, it's super funny. But it just becomes this inconsistent kind of gags. Like, let's just throw stuff out there and see what's funny. And, uh, and that's kind of my overall feel of the movie. But, yeah. So he's a, he's a carny. <laughs> well, and to that point, is that really any different than any other comedies written in the late 70s? You know? Oh, <laughs> I couldn't tell you. <laughs> that was really kind of just the style of the time, you know? I don't. I, True. I wouldn't. I honestly don't know that many at the time, <laughs> if I'm honest. But my, here's my question: So, Richie and Jones, you've both seen this movie before. Yep. Oh yes. Okay. True. So, so this was my, and I think Oni's first time watching it, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I really struggled, <laughs> if I'm honest. I was so confused the whole time. There was like parts where I'm like. I, I just, I, I don't even understand how he ended up here, what's happening, what's going on. I felt like, yeah, I don't know. I felt like parts of it were really racist. <laughs> and I don't know. It's just, I, I did not enjoy this movie, if I'm honest, mm-hmm. at all. And I love Steve Martin. So it's like, it's it's so interesting. But yeah, that's where I'm at. <laughs> oh, no. Well, we'll, uh, we'll get, I guess we'll get to... to why you didn't enjoy it, but uh, we'll, we'll continue through. Um, you know, he got to the carnival, and uh, fortunately for him, the uh, the shooter, you know, couldn't follow him because it's for for uh, carnival people only, carnival, carnival people workers only. So, you know, he was saved because the shooter couldn't follow him. Uh, he meets uh, the daredevil lady and uh, finally discovers his <laughs> special purpose. The family reading <laughs> the the letter that he sends them about his special <laughs> purpose, and because <laughs> his, his grandma, his adopted grandma, reads it, <laughs> and saying that you know she's got a that he'll have another job soon. <laughs> yep, and you know all the while while he's while he's working, he's sending his uh, sending his family, you know, some money here and there, whatever he can spare, and uh, um. You know, trying to take care of I will of say, I think we've missed one very important part about his time at the gas station. And and that is uh, somebody walks in and his glasses won't stay on his oh, face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he very quickly whips up a invention, which is... I, I don't even, How do you explain what this thing he creates is? But basically... The OptiGrab? The, op, the yeah, OptiGrab. That's why they end up... That's what they end up calling it. But yeah, it's a handle for your glasses. You know, they keep slipping off your nose. I mean, how else are you going to put them on? Daily, you're wearing glasses now. Like. I mean, exactly. <laughs> he whips up this invention that will come into play much later, but is very important to the plot line. No, I agree. Like, it, and the way he sells it to the guy, right? Because he talks about very intricate parts 
on automobiles, specifically, I believe a Chevy. He re- he references, like he he's speaking very intelligently on this part, and it just plays into the inconsistency bit that I have with the with the movie. But like, <laughs> it, it is a very ingenious invention. It's just basically like a handle for your glasses that sits on the bridge of your nose, keeping it from sliding off. The opti grab. And uh, the guy he sells it to is like, I can, I make tons of money selling this stuff. Um, so if this ever takes off, I'm going to cut you in 50-50 split. <laughs> yeah, mighty kind of him, you know. I, yeah, I sell crap really like kind of... this. I sell crap like this. <laughs> yeah. It, my favorite part of that whole interchange, though, and he's because the glasses keep falling off, and he's like, damn these glasses. And then, of course, Navis Johnson, Steve Martin's character, is like, I damn these glasses. Like, he's damning them. Like, literally damning the glasses and it's just so funny that that gag was really hilarious so uh, he's working the carnival he's found his special purpose and uh it's uh realizing it uh frequently with the daredevil lady uh with patty and um then while he's working the uh the little train ride uh, he saves a mischievous young lad who tries to ride off with the train that lad has the killer shirt, though. Like, I really wish I had my own shirt that just has the words bullshit on it. That's a great, great shirt. I'm pretty sure we could probably find it at Spencer's Gifts <laughs> for us Americans. Like that's... Yeah, and um, so he uh, he meets the, meets the kid's nanny, Marie, and uh, goes on a date with her. Um. Things go bad when Patty catches him, but Marie just knocks her out, and uh, they fall in love. So they uh, run off together, and (laughs) again, just such a—it's so stupid, but it makes me laugh every time. When Navin, they're—they're in this little, you know, one-room apartment, and he's in the in the bathroom uh, taking a bath. And, you know, professing his love for Marie and uh, doesn't realize that, you know, she's in tears and is leaving him because he's just not, you know, not not a secure person for her to be with. He asks his dog, who we haven't even mentioned his dog, um, (laughs) (laughs) gets him, you know. Yeah, that's the dog's name, everybody. It's. Isn't it dipshit or something like it's that? A, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's shithead. <laughs> shithead, shithead. Yeah, Sorry, he, my apologies. It's shithead. <laughs> when he first got to St. Louis, you know, he's staying at the little motel, yeah. and uh, he thought this dog, this random dog that started barking at him, was trying to warn him of a fire. And uh, it's, uh, you know, obviously there's no fire, but it woke everybody up, and one of the irate. Uh, patrons of this motel yeah. <laughs> told him what to call this dog. Call him Shithead. Good. So. That random that random uh, patron has been in a ton of movies, by the way. He's a very, very talented actor. Oh, yeah. Who are they? <laughs> and they used him for 15 seconds and yep. the jerk. He's always like, yeah, for... he's always in cameo spots, but... Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> so, Marie, Marie's gone, and uh, while he thinks his world has fallen apart, who shows up but the same lunatic that tried to shoot him at the gas station? Uh, running for his life, he... And he's like a security guard or something now. Do what? 
like a security guard or something. He's a private eye. Private eye. Yeah, he's a, he's private, a investigator. private investigator. He's a dick. And so he was... He's a what? <laughs> yep, that's right. Another name for private and, uh, eye daily was... in America is dick. Oh, okay. Is that just because you guys don't yeah, like, like, like Dick, dick Tracy? Like Dick, dick Tracy? Tracy a, okay. Uh, so that's why. <laughs> so his whole name was a pun. <laughs> um, yeah, and, yeah, and he becomes like suddenly, because this guy cut him in, he be- suddenly becomes rich. Yeah. With his invention, right? Yeah, he he starts off with two hundred and fifty, which is equivalent big ones. to about one, a little over a million dollars now. <laughs> by the way, that's about the buying purchasing power. He starts off with two hundred fifty thousand, and then he gets a second check for seven hundred and fifty thousand, which is about three million dollars. So uh, his invention is very lucrative. No, I was just gonna say, like, as but soon even, as he gets then, money, like, my first thought was, ah. Oh, I wonder how much, like, how he's going to set his family up that he camps from. And he just completely ignores them. Just sends them letters. What, what are you doing? Well, we can't ignore also one of those great gags of the movie, though. You know, the the PI tells him that he's getting 250 big ones. And that's all he says. So $50. he thinks he's getting yeah. like $250. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he goes to, to the, the bank to cash yeah. the check. And he's like, and he's so proud. He's like, two hundred and fifty <laughs> big ones, and, and so the, you know, the bank, the the bank teller just looks at the check. It's like, oh, oh my gosh! And there's, you know, all of a sudden, it's doting on him. And, and then he writes it out. <laughs> you know, it's it's, it's like two hundred fifty thousand, <laughs> and then he like looks at it like, oh my god, I'm actually rich. Yeah, super good. <laughs> and that's the point where Marie comes back because Marie's mother is the one who contacts him and he charges him 75 bucks to basically give him the info of where uh, Marie is currently located because Marie's mother found him in the paper and that's uh, uh, because the inventor struck it rich paper ad basically uh, uh, an article came out about Navis and uh, yeah, that's, (laughs) that's how he reconnects with, uh, with Marie. Who's more than willing to jump back into his arms. Yep. Now that he's financially secure. Well, the only reason why she left him, though, yeah, is because he, he was uh, unstable, right? And, and she's doing it for, like, originally how... Because the scene that plays out, the, the Tonight You Belong to Me scene, is what it's, what it's called, is that she tells him that, you know, her mother has a plan for her saying that she needs to belong with somebody who has a special purpose and then he says he has a special purpose which is an innuendo that is not <laughs> not what she's meaning uh but because that's what his family told him it was called um but yeah so now he has an actual literal special purpose in life because he's rich that's why so, his yep, they uh <laughs> they get back together and just live an absolutely extravagant life without without cutting his family yeah. in <laughs> well, we don't know if he sent money but like the letter was ex- <laughs> the letter he does send his family explains on how extravagant his new house is his butler whose wife died like got got shot <laughs> like was executed basically in front of like that that scene alone was just like what is going on <laughs> Uh, yeah, because she wasn't she like in gambling debt or something. I can't remember, but 
I literally just watched the movie a second time and I can't remember. But either way, his butler's like watching his wife die and Navis is like, You got is this enough time to mourn? He's like, Yeah, of course, I'm good now. And I'm like, What? Super it's funny it's a funny gag. <laughs> it's just Pretty back to work. You know, the thing is, they're living this just absolutely ridiculous just spending money left and right, but they don't think they're being extravagant. Right. You know, and that's the, that's the thing. Like, even when they're at the restaurant and, uh, you know, after he's, you know, uh, lost his lost his mind on the waiter because uh, on her there were snails on at the French restaurant. There were snails on her plate, you know, but but he's even like, let's splurge a little. None of this 1966 this wine year. give me something fresh. <laughs> you know? Doesn't know he's dealing like, with high, you know, <laughs> high taste people. <laughs> right. You know, he, he, he wants to splurge and, and you know, he, so he doesn't think he's being extravagant with their, uh, you know, daily parties and, you know, the knife throwing lessons. And, you oh, know, don't the, forget the like coolers of wine. That's right. By the tennis court. That's right. right. With the, that with was, the crystal the crystal glasses. Yeah, the, the crystal in the yeah, cup dispensers. <laughs> that's a funny gag. Those are the small props in there that you're like, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Everything's going great. They're about to watch his big interview on the on the news, um, talking about his success until they find out about the class action lawsuit filed against him because of the opti grab everybody to go cross-eyed. <laughs> it's like a magnet that you're directed to. And actually, it's funny. Go go ahead, Daly. Go ahead. Does the guy that cut, like, him in, like, that actually has the business, you don't hear... Do you hear anything about him getting sued as well? Nothing. That, could, that was conveniently left out of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so Davis is just a fool guy, basically. Yeah. Well, Naven was the inventor, you know? The yeah. other guy, he just sold it. It's so. his fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so. right. <laughs> and I, I just absolutely love Carl Reiner is the one leading yeah, this class action to, you That's know, so the director funny. of the movie, playing yeah. himself, saying he can't direct movies now. And it's, it's so... Yeah. <laughs> it's very meta. It's, and the, it's the whole, the whole segment humor. there of the, the actors dying in the fiery car crash because he couldn't call cut in time because he was cross-eyed. It's, it's so ridiculous, but <laughs> it, again, it makes me laugh every time. I bet on, I bet, I bet, like actually seeing this movie in 1979 when it released would have been really hilarious at that part. For me, watching it the first time, I was like, ha ha ha. This time, the second time, I'm watching it this morning, and I'm literally watching it. It the effects of it is just astronomically terrible. <laughs> like, cause you can see it's obviously a dummy. <laughs> In the car. Like, it's meant, like, Rob Reiner's character is basically saying that, you know, I killed a guy because I didn't yell cut in time. And it's clearly a dummy falling out of that car and then the car exploding. Like, it's... Like, but I bet, like, non-high-def scenarios, right? <laughs> like, low-refresh-rate stuff, screens, you wouldn't have been able to notice. Yeah. <laughs> this would have been on a CRTV, man. So Naven loses everything. Uh... Marie leaves him because he just, uh, he's changed. and He's, he's broke again. Yeah, he's broke now. Um, I think her quote was, when she was upset originally, 
it's not about the money. It's about losing all the stuff. <laughs> I don't care about losing all the money. It's losing all the stuff. That sounds familiar. And then again, you, you, you see one of those jokes that just goes on, uh, you know, and, and it's like, all right, how much yeah, more can we do is. in here? Yeah. And, but the longer it goes, it just keeps getting, at least to me, it just keeps getting funnier. He's like, I don't need you. I don't need <laughs> anything except this ashtray <laughs> and this remote control and this paddle ball. And my dog. And, this and then lamp. the dog like, growls at him and runs away. <laughs> That's all I need. The dog growls at him and runs off. Well, that's all I need. So Navin's now living on the streets, finishes telling his story, you know, just hit rock bottom finally. Um, which that was another great quote uh, uh, when him and Marie were having the argument, you know, and uh, he says, I haven't hit rock bottom. I still have a long <laughs> way to go. <laughs> no, maybe you've hit bottom, but I haven't hit bottom yet. I got a ways to go. It's like he's proud that, you know, things can get way worse for me. <laughs> can, can we talk about the amount of money in the settlement, right? There was what... A, was it a million it was, people or a thousand people or something? It was a million people. The, or they're right at a million. Yeah, suing yeah. him. And each yeah. one of them gets one dollar <laughs> right. in nine It was a ten cents. million dollar settlement. And you know, the judge is like, I award to Mr. Reiner splitting it. and the yeah. other nine hundred thousand nine hundred and ninety nine eight hundred and eighty two defendants. <laughs> the full amount. Yeah. <laughs> The full amount, and they each get a dollar right. nine cents, which I love the fact that they poked they poked fun at like. Oh yeah, and then Navin like has that. to, and then you know, because this is how it works. He's physically, <laughs> he physically writing a single check to each person. <laughs> <laughs> he calls it out, and nine yeah. cents. <laughs> One dollar and nine cents. Steel balls, McGinty. That's he gets right. a check too. So. Uh, the story's done, you know, he's just wasting away on the street, and then who shows up but his whole family? They rescue him. First place they <laughs> How'd you find me? I don't know. This was the first place we looked. <laughs> but, uh, you know, his dad, you know, was taking that money that he sent and, you know, putting it in, in smart investments and... Now they're they're the ones who are well off and came to take Naven back home. Made him ride in the back because of how bad he smelled. <laughs> but, and you know we we see the whole family just uh, laughing and dancing and after building themselves a you know they they finally could move out of that little shack they were in and built themselves a bigger house, which is the exact same shack just <laughs> a little bit bigger and. Uh, Credits roll. So that's the jerk. What what, <laughs> what did you guys think of it overall? I love it. This is uh, this is exactly the kind of humor that I grew up loving. And, you know, I, I see myself, like I can remember watching movies like this with my dad and just thinking it was the most amazing stuff. 
Um, like I said, that, that first line, you know. It was never easy for me. I was born a poor black child. My favorite line of the movie. <laughs> I've, I've been, I was quoting that before I ever even saw this movie. Um, just because of how ridiculous it is. And <laughs> I absolutely love it. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same. I I I love it too. Um, is it the best Steve Martin movie? No, probably not. But it, it just how ridiculous it is. Yeah, it, I I don't I don't think it's Obviously it's the it's worst either. Um, but uh, it, it it's got so many good moments, so many good gags. Um, it's just out there with ridiculousness, and um, you know, it, it's it seems like a classic Steve Martin movie. Um, it's very indicative of the era, um, you know, the late seventies and, um, you got all the racial stuff, but, um, you know, it, he makes it work with just how stupid he is. And, um, it's just, it's great. It's, I laugh at almost every scene. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm with Richie here. I, I, I loved it. Uh, How did you find it? How did I find it? Oh, um, Uh, like I said prior, like inconsistent, I think is my main thing. There's a couple of Steve Martin things, right? When I was watching that, his speech at the at the American Film Institute event, uh, he because he did the screenplay and he wrote the movie alongside the other writers. His biggest takeaway was that I wanted to joke on every page, right? That I want you to laugh on every single page of the script, which I think they nailed, right? It it was funny, but it's just uh inconsistent like the gags literally i think it only works from one one angle and that's you have to see the movie is what it was which was a comedy kind of sketch script that that's where where steve martin really survives um at least in his early career is very very much a comedic like stage kind of play it's it's not for what it it truly was, which is a weird, uh, inconsistent movie where you have this guy who's who's an idiot or at least naive and uh, ignorant. I think is a good word uh, to use here. But yet, in parts, he's really, really smart about other things. Like he he doesn't have street smarts, but he has book smarts, and that doesn't make sense either. I mean, like, for, from the family he grew up in, that was confusing. I think if I would have seen it when I was a kid, I probably would have laughed a lot more. I think seeing it for the first time as an adult, especially in this climate, because this is new world versus old world humor completely, right? The, it, this this movie is, is over 40 years old. Uh, and it needs to stay that way. <laughs> like, yes. in, my, in, my, in my opinion. Um, but... <laughs> I mean, Steve Martin wrote it because he thought it would be funny. He wanted to break into the movie scene, which he did, and he thrived as a, as an actor. But it, it's really sketch humor, and it's not like overall like funny indicative plot humor, which are two different two different kind of things. I think if you look at it through the lens as I'm a comedian, I do stand up comedy, it works. And I think any other way, it. it some of the most of the jokes kind of fall flat it's a 50 50 like i laughed but not as much as i would do on any kind of like current type of comedy labeled film um yeah 
I, I I liked a lot of different parts of it. I think my um and Steve Martin's favorite part of the movie, if you didn't know, is uh that tonight you belong to me scene where him and uh, Marie are out on a date on the beach. He's playing the ukulele. Steve Martin actually learned to play the ukulele for that part. Um, he was unsure if he played it live or not, but he did learn the ukulele for that song. And they're singing, and she's trumpeting because she, she just has a trumpet. I mean, like it, it's it's gag humor. It's funny. Um, when when they showcased that movie in St. Louis, because they showcased it in St. Louis first, it premiered there. Um, Steve Martin talks about how people got up and went to go get popcorn <laughs> during that scene because they just wanted the jokes. And I thought, I think that's very, very indicative of, of the movie scene back then because like people just got up randomly. Like I never do. Like for me going to the theaters, I'm there for the whole movie. Like we get our popcorn. I eat all the popcorn before the movie even like, but I don't get more <laughs> like, you know? Um, and I think Steve Martin kind of put it, best when he says i don't know how why it survived why this movie survived he did say that in that speech he's like i think it's because it's innocent and you're getting on the side of navis right away or navin god i keep saying his name wrong (laughs) but you know and and but he even as an actor 30 years later was like i don't know how this this movie survived and uh, I think that kind of speaks volumes of the overall climate shift of comedy between between now and then. Um, I think I liked I liked Terry, the gas station uh, attendant. I thought that was funny. Uh, his do- adopted family is is perfect. Um, I uh, I like the fact that he beat up those mobsters that talked ill of of, of African Americans. I thought that was that was appropriate to add in the film, you know, because he thought, but mm-hmm. only because he thought he was one. Okay, that's, I want that stressed. Like, that's why Steve Martin unleashed his black belt skills. <laughs> Again, very inconsistent to the character. It, it's very gag humor based. And, and like Richie said, it, it's very appropriate for the time period of, of, of 79. That's what those movies were. Uh, I don't think it plays well now, in my opinion. Like, it's funny, but... I, I'm with you. I think that, like, I, I didn't grow up in this this movie. I didn't grow up in this kind of humour. I grew up on Adam Sandler. Um, and for me, I just... Like, I, I didn't find it that funny. I didn't... Like, there weren't that many moments in it where I was like, oh, that actually made me laugh. I think the... Um, him not realizing he's getting shot at was like the only moment at the gas station. Um, but I, I completely agree with you. Like I I just actually struck, like I was just struggling to watch this movie because I just thought it was really bad. (laughs) Yeah, that's, I'm sorry, boys. I know, I know Richie and Jones, this is a, a special movie to you, but, uh, yeah, I was not a fan, my friends. I'll definitely tell you that I'm going to try not to think less of you for that opinion. But that's a lie, because I definitely will think less of you. I understand. Hey, I understand if you struggle. I mean... <laughs> All right, so I think we've kind of... Uh, Oni did a great job of uh, kind of hitting on it, but this movie, uh, could it be made today? Um, you know, I, there's no way in, in this no, climate. I... And, and honestly, I mean, humor... You know, comedy has changed yep. so much 
um, from that, you know, gag humor, <clears throat> as Oni put it, you know, going from one gag to the next, that, that you don't see that nowadays very much. You know, it's pretty much all plot driven and, um, you know, you don't see a lot of the gag humor in a, in a full length movie anymore. So even just from a, a, you know, forgetting all the other cultural things, I mean, just from a, from a comedy standpoint, they probably wouldn't make this movie. Today. Yeah, I think that's fair. I agree. I, I, I think it can be made. Uh, it has to be majorly rewritten. Yeah. 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 I mean, when you start a movie with, you know, a scene of a, of an African-American family singing pick a bale of cotton in front of their shack and then ending the movie basically the exact same way. The only difference is that the shack is slightly larger because that, that African-American family is richer, like well off now, but they still live in a shack. It would, yeah. it would have to be majorly rewritten. Like I said, I did like the part where, where he um, stood up for his family for one specific purpose like that was appropriate to put in, See, but I, like they, yeah, it was kind of exploitative. Uh, ex, ex, uh, <laughs> don't cut this uh, out. Cut this out, Jamie, please. <laughs> but uh, it was, yeah, it it was really tough to kind of watch that in the climate now. And I do want to bring up a really fun fact, though. Okay, that that um, that the house, the mansion that that he gets, right. Is actually uh, it's a real life place. It's uh, where's it at? Oh gosh, it's uh, it's ten eleven North Beverly Drive in Beverly Hills Hills, California. Um, that uh, estate uh, is shot many different times for a lot of different people. But the guy who owned it actually went bankrupt in twenty twenty. Wow! And that estate had to be sold to pay off his debts. So it's kind of funny how and, and ironic now that we're talking about the movie, but that 40 years later it comes full circle on that actual actual estate itself. Because I was very curious about, like, where did they shoot this? You know, I thought so it, maybe this... it was the director's place or something, because that's really common, you know, in, in movies being shot in California. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's really funny that, that that estate had to be sold because the guy also went bankrupt, and that's kind of funny. See, the movie was prophetic. Yeah, 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 it was. And, uh, but, yeah, definitely can't be made without major rewrites. I think it would, could, it could, the slapstick gag humor is funny as a series. It's not funny in, in a movie theater type setting anymore. I think it could probably be made if, if, if somebody wants to give it a try, but have it be like an, an episonically, because that's how the movie actually plays out, is very episonically. Because you're getting one part, and then you're getting another part of his life, and then you're getting another part of his life. I think it could be made that way, uh, but I think major rewrites <laughs> would have to happen. I'm curious on on what Steve Martin's ideas are about that movie, is his thoughts and feelings about that movie now. And I wonder if it, if it still matches 2008. I mean... I I think if anything started his acting career, he probably still has a fondness for it. But I think you're, you're yeah. his yeah. like you proved the point when like his own quote was, you know, I don't know how this movie survived. Like, yeah. I, I think it's funny. We did talk about the cat juggling scene, but that that funny that was that cracked me up. The, the cat which one? Where where uh, the Mexican priest was 
was like petitioning him for money and he's showcasing this film and it's Steve Martin like dressed up and he's juggling these fake cats. Like I've seen this before. Cat juggling. Oh, turn it off. Turn it off. Like it's the worst thing he's ever seen in his life. Like that was, that was pretty funny. That cracked me up. Um, Cause it was just so stupid, but it's those, it's those gags. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It'd be a tough movie to sell. I think now. For sure. I agree. Let's uh, close this out by um, giving it a score, you know, as, as, we're gonna, as we do on every movie. Uh, we're going to base it out of five. And I think what's appropriate today is we're going to give it a score based out of five opti-grabs. Opti-grabs. <laughs> so, what's, the, so uh, daily. what's the rating? Before we get into our own rating, what's, what's the, the Rotten Tomato score? On it. Uh, it's actually really good. Um, it's a it's certified fresh. It's a eighty three percent, and the audience is slightly higher, eighty four percent. So it's actually really uh, really well uh, well reviewed um, by audience and critics. Yeah, it did make a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> made a, a lot of money. Okay, opti grabs daily. Uh, I'm gonna give it two. Two opti grabs. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I give it uh, three and a half (laughs) opti-grabs out of five. Richie's shaking his head. What you got? Uh, I'd give it, uh, I'd say three, yeah. I mean, like, only because I knew what he was shooting for. Like, I knew what what he wanted to say in the film and why it was important to him. So, yeah, three, three opti-grabs out of five. I'd probably give it, I'd probably give about four. I'm going to go with four opti-grabs. And uh, and I love the movie, I really do. But I can also, <laughs> um, you know, let's, let's just be real. Like, you know, as much as I laugh at it every time, right. this isn't exactly <laughs> what I would consider a masterpiece. So we'll go with four <laughs> optigrabs. That's fair. Yeah. What do we? What what's happening next time? We're gonna throw this into our fancy little bot here on our Discord. Make sure you come join our Discord if you want to know more. But we're going to check a movie out of the 80s, and it looks like we have Code of Silence Silence. from 1985. I don't think I've ever even heard of it. Everybody's right now as we speak. (laughs) Code or code? Code. Oh, 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 it's a cop movie. This is a Chuck Norris. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Action drama. Excellent. All right. (laughs) So... Code or code? So code? Code. We will have to, we will definitely have to uh, have the Chuck Norris jokes queued up on standby. <laughs> oh, absolutely! I'll pull out my book of them <laughs> that I have laying around. So, who uh, who's going to take the lead on this one? Uh, I'll take the lead on this one. All right, Jones. Good deal. So next episode, we're going to watch Code of Silence from 1985. That should be great. Uh, before we leave, anybody got anything they want to share? Just uh, the link to the Discord. That'll be in the show notes, I'm assuming. Uh, we'll, we'll have it linked down below. Also, uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at Death of VHS. All right. Appreciate it. Appreciate everybody there joining us. And we'll see you next time on The Death of VHS. The Death of VHS is recorded and produced by John Walls, Dylan Bailey, Jamie Johnson, Abe Ponce, and me, Richie Stevens. Editing by Jamie Johnson. Published by Anchor.fm. Check out Anchor for all of your podcasting needs. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, 
at Death of VHS. And come join us on our Discord to hang out uh, with us and other fans and to discuss the latest episode. You can find the link for our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on The Death of VHS. The Death of VHS is recorded and produced by John Walls, Dylan Bailey, Jamie Johnson, Abe Ponce, and me, Richie Stevens. Editing by Jamie Johnson. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, at Death of VHS. And come join us on our Discord to hang out uh, with us and other fans and to discuss the latest episode. You can find the link for our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on The Death of VHS.